All right. Well, that's, uh, we're going to play that song one more time a little later um, as well, just so we can get it one more time. A um, few announcements to start us off. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here. Uh, you can let us know you're here, and, and if, even if you're not a guest, if you're just here and you want to let us know you're here and, and uh, have a prayer request, you can use the, the card there, that welcome card in the pew rack in front of you. It's yellow, and uh, you can put it in the little offering box on the sides of the sound booth as you, as you head out. Uh, for those of you that are t- tuning in online, you can certainly do that uh, on our website. We have a, a virtual uh, online welcome card you can fill out to connect with us and let us know uh, your need or a prayer. We'd love to be praying for you or connect with you and to, to visit with you about, about faith and about Christ. So uh, you can fill that out online as well. Um, certainly for, for those who are here, uh, we, we don't pass the plate anymore for offering, uh, but there are the offering boxes on the, uh, on the sound booth at the, at the doors as you leave. Uh, we're, we're so thankful for those who continue to faithfully give and cheerfully give and support this ministry and the, and the kingdom of God so, uh, and, the, and the growth of the kingdom. So thank you for that. Uh, for those of you online, you can still do that online, and uh, you've been doing an awesome job at that as well. So thankful. We're thankful for that. Just a couple uh, of announcements. Um, I, I would just encourage you folks, uh, as, as so many are, of us are going to be missing music in church, uh, it's, it's a difficult uh, kind of thing to think about. But I would just encourage you to, to again, send, send a song to a friend uh, this week. Send, send a couple songs to a friend. Let, let's just permeate uh, our lives, each other's lives, uh, with worship, with, with uh, music. And maybe you have a favorite hymn that you listen to or a favorite praise song that you know. You can, you can find almost any of them on, on YouTube and send a link. Uh, maybe you can't. Maybe you need to write a letter, right, and write the lyrics down to the song and just send it on. And let the truth of those, those, uh, those songs, the truth of the gospel, uh, just permeate our hearts and encourage each other um, all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching, right? So I would encourage you to, to do that. We also still have uh, Wednesday nights available for a Bible study here at 6.30. So if you want to come out for Bible study, it starts at 6.30, uh, and it'll also be on our live stream. Uh, you can watch from home or catch up on the ones that you might have missed as well. So those are kind of the announcements going on that uh, I think we need to, to cover. I think that's about it. So we're going to go to the Word now. Let's go ahead and open to Psalm chapter 21, the book of Psalms, uh, Chapter 21, if we could. We're going to finish that chapter up. And then uh, the next psalm, Psalm 22, will be covered over, I think, four or five weeks. And it's the Psalm of the Cross. So we're going to get to look at uh, some really awesome uh, prophecy of Christ and, uh, and really some, some great parallels and connections there. Um, today we finish up again Psalm 21. And uh, we started last week in Psalm 21, uh, verses 1 through 7, and, and talked about uh, rejoicing in salvation. What we saw is that David in Psalm 20 uh, was prayed over by the congregation and, and, and prayed himself also that, that he would see victory, that God's covenantial uh, love and his, his love for his people would continue to endure through David, that David would survive, that Israel would have the victory. And, and now we see that, that God has rescued, that God has come through. And we see that in Psalm 21. This is the rejoicing over the salvation that was brought uh, through, through, and the victory that was brought through the, the battle. So we'll see that uh, played out today. Last week, we really saw the high points. What was interesting it was the high points of salvation and how amazing God is to rescue and save us and, and, and how much we should rejoice in that. It was one of those exciting times. But as we looked at and we stopped at the end of verse 7, as we start verse 8 today, it's really one of those messages that, uh, that Charles Spurgeon uh, preached so many years ago. It's turn or burn. That's really what it is. And, we, and listen, I, I understand the gravity of a message like that. I understand the gravity of, of talking about things like this, but this is the Word of God, and we have to take it for its entirety. 
I want us to paint a picture for a minute and, and think, about, think about a reality of what we, what we sometimes don't understand. When we think about salvation, God's salvation, we, we realize, man, I, I really messed up in some way. I, I've sinned against God, and I've, I've broken that relationship with God. And we, we know that. We understand that. So we, we turn to Christ in faith because what did Christ do? He decided to come and pay that penalty, right? He paid for my sin. But it's deeper than that, right? Because we think that he paid for my sin and I have faith in Christ and I'm saved and I'm forgiven and I get to be with him forever. And it's like this paradise and this vacation thing you got on the mind, right? But really, on the flip side of that, we have to understand from what were we saved? Because we like to think, oh, I have faith in Christ and I'm good to go. You're good. To, what weren't you? You weren't good to go. What did that mean? We were separated from God and we were enemies of God. Do we understand that? That at the depth of and the core of human beings, of humanity, of the human heart, because of our sin, we are enemies of God. Now for you and I, most of us in this room would probably say, yeah, I, I have faith in Christ. I am saved. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm now a friend of God through faith in Christ. And that's, that's the amazing hope that we have, isn't it? That we're no longer enemies of God. See, we can't just rest our hope in, yay, I'm saved and going to heaven forever. It has to stem from, yay, I'm saved from the penalty and wages of my sin. I've been rescued and changed from enemy of God and now made a friend of God. I no longer am going to have the punishment of my sin upon myself because it was placed on Jesus on a cross. I won't have to suffer where I should have suffered. Now I'll be with him in eternity forever. Do you understand the fullness of that picture? But we like to kind of make it more, let's say, Amer Americanized, right? We get saved and we're, it's good and we have a good time and a good life and a good friends and a community. And what we don't, we stop thinking about what's, what everyone else, what is, what's going on in their lives. The people that are unsaved, the people that don't have Christ. And in fact, that's very dangerous. I would argue this, that as today we look at the Word of God, as today we see the, the wrath of God and what it really entails, that it would stir in us a desire to evangelize the lost, to let them know of the saving and mighty power of God, that they too could live with him forever in eternity. That's so important. That's so important for us. But we get a little laxed. We like this, this idea of an island paradise to ourselves with Jesus, and what we think in our mind is everyone else just is going to miss out on it. That's, that's what we've turned Christianity into. We all get to be on our island paradise with Jesus, and everybody else is going to miss out on it. And in our mind, when we say something like that, what we're really saying is, they're still good to go, they can have their own lives, they're going to, they're going to suffer in, in, in different ways, but they're going to be on their, own, on their own. But that's not what Scripture tells us, does it? It doesn't tell us that the unsaved or the lost, those who do not have faith in Christ, it does not tell us that they are going to be just on their own and secluded from the island paradise that we get to live on. That's not it at all. They are enemies of God. And God's wrath will always prevail. I want you to think about that in, a, in an aspect of belonging to a kingdom. If you and I belong to God's kingdom and he's the king and there are still enemies out there that want to destroy and thwart his ways, what should our king do? Put them in their place. He should go out and conquer and destroy. And that's exactly what God does. Now, in a kingdom, even on earth, that seems a little questionable. We should talk about that. When we talk about the perfect 
holy God, he has every right and authority. Every right and authority. So today as we look at this, I want us to see this fuller picture of salvation. We can't just say salvation is, yay, I get to be on an island paradise with Jesus forever, because that's not even biblical. Right? He has saved us unto himself that we might be with him in heaven forever, and he will create a new heaven and a new earth, but in doing that, he has to destroy the old heaven and old earth. That there is judgment to be had on every single one of us because of our own sin, but God, who's rich in mercy, pursues us and pays for that penalty, pays, puts that wrath on Jesus on a cross so that we, through faith in Christ alone, can be saved and be redeemed and be with him forever. That's, that's the fullness of this, but it has to include God's judgment. So today is part two of rejoicing in salvation. And it's, it's a little bit harder one, but I hope it encourages us to rejoice in God's might, in God's provision, in God's salvation all the more. And I hope it stirs in our heart a desire to go out and, and share the hope of Christ with the lost. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get to our text. Father, I, I thank you so much for, again, this time to be together. God, to worship you and to, to look to you as our only hope and our living hope. We thank you for that. We thank you that, that you have made a way to save us from the wrath of God. And, and that's why it's so important for us to come to you in faith. So God, help us see our deep need. Help us turn to you. And God, help us be stirred because of the coming wrath to go out and share the amazing mercy of, of God with people who need to know him. God, open again our hearts and minds to be receptive to your truth. Convict us of sin. God, draw us to uh, obedience and repentance that we would be forever changed by the Son. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm 21. We're going to read verses 8 through uh, thir 13, the rest of the chapter. Let's read that together. Your hand will capture all your enemies. Your right hand will seize those who hate you. You will make them burn like a fiery furnace when you appear. The Lord will engulf them in his wrath and fire will devour them. You will wipe away their progeny from the earth and their offspring from the human race. Though they intended to harm you and devise a wicked plan, they will not prevail. Instead, you will put them to flight when you ready your bowstrings to shoot at them. Be exalted, Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. Now again, we need to understand this is a song meant to be sung in church. That the congregation would gather together and sing this entire psalm. We don't just sing about the lovey-dovey stuff. We sing about the lovey-dovey stuff because it shows us how, how great God is from rescuing us from the judgment and wrath that is coming to everyone. It's so important to keep that in view and in mind that we were saved from God's wrath through Christ and his, and his death on the cross. That's the depth of it. That's, that's what should long and stir in our hearts obedience and desire to be holy and a desire to follow him with everything we've got. It's not that I won a ticket off a radio show and I get to be in heaven now. It's that through faith in Christ, I have been saved the coming wrath of God, the, the rightful wrath that I deserve. I so deserve that wrath. And each one of us does. So today as we look at rejoicing in salvation, we're re rejoicing kind of an, over a, a, a different aspect, the second aspect of salvation. And there's several different points here. Number one is this. We rejoice in salvation because God's enemies can't hide. Because God's enemies can't hide. Now, I, I, under, I know this, and you know this. Like There's a frustration we have seeing the wicked prevail. And it seems like they continue to prevail and do wicked things, and their success there. 
Like, when are they going to be found out? When are they going to pay the piper? Right? We reap what we sow. We know that. But it doesn't look like that's happening all the time. What we know is that they won't be able to hide from God. And for you and I who have come to, come to Christ through faith and have been saved from our sins and have been forgiven of our sins, we need to take heart in that and rejoice in God's salvation. Part of the fullness of God's salvation is that the enemies of God won't be able to hide. They try, but they will not be able to hide. What does it say? Verse 8. It says, Your hand will capture your enemies. Your right hand will seize those who hate you. And the overarching theme of this is they're going to be found out. That's what this means. Those enemies are going to be found out, and God will capture them. Your hand will reach wherever they think they can't be reached. God will find them out. Nothing is hidden. We'd like to think that we can hide from God. We'd like to think that our, our actions are hidden. Or that they're in the security of our home or in the privacy of our own room or, or in the, wherever we are doing whatever we're doing. But nothing is hidden from God. We see that in Scripture, that everything will be naked and exposed before Him to whom we must give an account. There will be an accounting. There will be a day when everyone's hiding place is totally, totally exposed. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 139. I want to see a portion of this scripture that, that speaks to this as well. Psalm 139. <clears throat> Psalm 139, we're going to read 7 through 12 together. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. There's no place we can hide from God. We can try, and, and think about the motives there. The motive, where can I escape your spirit? One of your discussion questions has to do with this, and I want you to think about that. Why do people try and hide from God? To try and escape his spirit. They don't want to be seen, they don't want to be judged, and they don't want to feel the condemnation and conviction about their sin. They escape the spirit of God. They try to escape. But Scripture says we can't. And we can make ourselves numb to the Spirit and continue to run and hide in new places. And it's like a hide-and-seek game with kids, right? We, we saw our kids playing that yesterday. They tried to hide and go find each other, right? We, where's the next best place? It was amazing in youth ministry when, when we had youth games here at the church, right? We'd have them here in the sanctuary and in, in the fellowship hall. And there are some really great hiding places here. Uh, I, I've, got, I've got a secret one for you. For those of you that showed up here in, today, if you want to play hide-and-seek in the church, there's a way to get underneath the baptismal. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's awesome. You have to get, get behind the stairs and get underneath there and crawl in. And, and I was playing this even as an adult and getting under there and trying, because I had to try to find the best place I could, right? But guess what? They always found me. Someone, I, that we, always, we always found out. There's no hiding place we can find, even the best ones that we can hide from God. Now listen, this is true for two different groups of people. One that, that we're talking about is the enemies of God. They want to run from God, not have anything to do with God, and try to hide from God and say, I, I didn't know better, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. 
well, they're going to be found out. But for you and I also, as, as people who have expressed faith in Christ, that should be a transformative faith that we have. Although we struggle still with sin and temptation. And, and here's what we have to understand. When we start to try to want to hide, we should say, no, no, no. I, let's not do that. Because all you're doing is creating havoc for yourself and probably others in, in your circle. God already knows what's going on in your heart. God's already seen the secret sin. He's already seen what you're doing. You can't hide from him. What we ought to do is run to him. He's a good father who wants to embrace and say, let's, let's have a chat. Let's talk about what it means to follow me. Let's talk about what it means to live a life that's good for you and pleasing to God. Right? That, that's the conversation he'll want to have. But for those who are enemies of God trying to hide, you might find the best spot possible. And you might hide for a long time or, or most of your life or all your life from people. But you'll never, ever be able to hide from God. I want us to look at the attitude of this heart as well now. Let's, let's talk about the attitude of this heart of, of the wicked. And, and probably we can see ourselves in this place as well. So go to Isaiah with me, if you would. Turn to the book of Isaiah. It's after Psalms a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 28. And there's a, a really a large portion of text here that I think is important for us to kind of understand. And it goes along with our, our passage in, um, in, in Psalm 21. So we're looking at Isaiah chapter 28, looking through at 14 through 22. And really there's rebuke among the, uh, for the leaders and the leadership of, of Israel and God's people. But, but this really looks at our heart as well. So Isaiah chapter 28, beginning in verse 14. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. Now stop there for a minute. It's so important for us to understand. What keeps us hiding? What keeps us running from God? What keeps us not surrendering? We don't hear the word of God and we scoff at it. The, the leaders in Israel knew the word. They understood the word of God. They had it there at their, at their disposal to look at and to study. But they mocked it. They scoffed at it. They didn't regard it. They didn't hear it and listen to it. For you and I, we have to go there. We have to say, you know what? There, there's something legitimate about the word of God. There's something powerful about the word of God. Don't scoff it. For you said, and here's what they said in verse 15, uh, we've made a covenant with death and we've made an arrangement with Sheol. Uh, when the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, it will not touch us because we have made falsehood our refuge and have hidden behind treachery. They've made a deal, in essence, with the devil. The leaders say, listen, if we make a deal with evil, if we, if we have hidden motives and we make sure that those, those things are what prevail and we don't really obey God, maybe we'll survive the catastrophe. That was their, their thinking. It won't touch us, Right? Therefore, in verse 16, the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. This is amazing. This is the amazing truth of the gospel right here in Isaiah. That that, that solid stone, that, that cornerstone, that precious stone is who? It's Jesus Christ. And when we have faith in Christ and stand on that stone, those who believe will be unshakable. Unshakable. And that's what these, these guys wanted. They wanted to be unshakable. They wanted to be able to be sufficient and, be, and survive. But they went the wrong direction. They went into hidden motives and ulterior motives and sinful motives and wicked motives and evil motives. They said, let's throw out the word of God. We don't need this anymore. They scoffed at it. And God said, I've, I've put a stone here. I've, if you want to be unshakable, it's there. He says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the mason's level. 
Hail will sweep away the false refuge, and water will flood your hiding place. Nothing can be hidden from God, right? We can't hide. God's enemies will be found out. Your covenant with death will be dissolved. Your agreement with Sheol will not last. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, you will be trampled. Every time it passes through, it will carry you away. It will pass through every morning, every day, and every night. Only terror will cause you to understand the message. Terror. Now listen, this is, this is the gospel. You and I must understand the wrath of God, the terror of God, of what is to come for those who trust in idols, who worship other gods, who do not surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, that precious cornerstone. And, and, and it, is, it is terrifying, but what we understand is as God's restraint, we'll see it later in Romans, we'll read this passage again, this restraint and his patience he's having on us now should lead us to see his deep kindness, and that kindness should lead us then to repentance, turning from our hiding places, turning from what we thought we knew. And then we, I read this earlier this week with Alistair, and we kind of joked about verse 20. It almost, this seems like hell. This is the description of what hell would be, right? And it's really not because it's way worse than this. But indeed, look what it says here. The bed is too short to stretch out on and its covers too small to wrap up in. Sounds like a joke in a college dorm. Someone got short sheeted, right? Their bed, I mean, and, and for tall people, you, you get in those little tiny beds or cot and your feet are hanging over, your head's dropping off. That is not a pleasant thing. And then you got to curl up and bundle up. And then to get a small sheet, a small blanket, you pull it up and your feet are exposed. You pull it down and your top's exposed. You, it, that's, that's torment. It says it in Scripture. Only terror will cause you to understand the message. Short beds and short sheets. Verse 21. For the Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim, and he will rise up in wrath as he did at the Valley of Gibeon to do his work, his unexpected work, and to perform his task, his unfamiliar task. So now, do not scoff, or your shackles will become stronger. Indeed, I have heard from the Lord God of armies the decree of destruction for the whole land. Pretty deep here. Pretty deep. I want us to, to focus in for a minute on this unexpected work. You know, we heard a song a while ago, at least here, uh, The Wondrous Mystery. And, and this wondrous work, the wondrous, marvelous work of God is the grace of God seen in Jesus Christ. But Isaiah describes the judgment and wrath of God as God's peculiar work or his strange work, his unexpected work. So his wondrous work is grace and the cross and his peculiar work is judgment and justice. But they both have to come to fruition. That's why we see salvation so greatly, because we were saved from judgment. We were saved from this peculiar work that God will have to do. And you and I are charged to not scoff, to not mock the word, not mock the truth, but to believe. So what we see in this, number one, this, this first rejoicing, you and I should be as a church rejoicing that God's enemies can't hide. And for most of us, as we read that, we're thankful that that's not a picture of us. For some of you, though, it may be exactly where you are. It may be exactly what you need to turn from and turn to trust in faith in Christ as Savior. Because number two doesn't get much better. Although you, you can't hide what we just saw uh, played out here in, in, in Isaiah, going back to the psalm. Number two is this. We rejoice in salvation because God's enemies will be destroyed. Again, that's tough to hear. It's tough to say, isn't it? 
Yay, we rejoice. They are singing this song in church. This is the, the full salvation of God. God's enemies will not be left to do whatever they want. If you're not a friend of God, you're an enemy of God. If you're an enemy of God, you can't hide. If you're an enemy of God, you're going to be destroyed. God's judgment will find you. That's just the truth. That's why it's so great a salvation. Because we're saved from the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Look at, go back to Psalm 21. We've turned a lot of pages here. Back to Psalm 21. Look at verse 9. You will make them burn like a fiery furnace when you appear. The Lord will engulf them in His wrath and fire will devour them. Listen, God's complete salvation and His final victory is over sin and His enemies, sinners. It's not just, okay, I paid for your sins. If you'll come to me, we'll be in good shape and everyone else just won't get to enjoy that. No, we're, we're all going to suffer the wrath of God, but He says, if you would look to me, if you would believe in faith that I can save, I will. But if you don't, you will not be rescued. You will not be spared. God's final victory is over sin and sinners. I want to read a passage out of 2 Thessalonians. We spent, spent a lot of time in, in the Old Testament. Let's see, what, is, what does the New Testament say about God's wrath? Because we, we don't like the hell and fire and brimstone and turn and burn kind of stuff. We want to see what the New Testament says about love and love your enemy or love your enemies and your neighbors. And so 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at the end of verse 7. Paul's writing says, This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so there's hell to pay for those who have not responded in faith to Christ. He, he, is, he has come and laid his life down on a cross that you and I could come to him in obedience and lay our hearts and lives down for him. That we could trust what he has done and what he has accomplished in faith and that he would rescue us from sin and the wages of sin, which is death. How great a salvation that is. But when he returns, there's still hell to pay. And especially for those who have not believed and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it's amazing how, how unfair God has been. In fairness, we all deserve the same thing. But in mercy and in grace, what God has done is said, I'm going to give you a way to be reconciled back to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So for you and I, that's, that's hope. That's assurance, that's love, that's graciousness, and that's compassion. And we should respond to that, knowing from which we're being saved. Hell and death and eternal separation from God. For those who don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from His glorious strength on that day when He comes to be glorified by His saints and to be marveled at by those who have believed. Because our testimony among you was believed. What he's saying is we preach the gospel and many of you believed and, and when, when the Lord Jesus comes, you and I who have believed in faith are going to marvel at the Lord Jesus. We're going to be thankful and worshiping and bowing down at who he is and we're, we're so amazed by his strength and what he's accomplished through so great a salvation. But those who have not obeyed are his enemies and they will be destroyed. Through faith in Christ we have life 
and we should rejoice that we are saved through him from the consuming fire. Hebrews tells us that. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So through faith in Christ, we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. Let us rejoice in that salvation, right? By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We see that there. We, we, we serve him. We, we love him. We revere him. And we're thankful to him for his salvation because we know he is a judge. He, and he's a just judge. I love that. Uh, there, there's a, a line in the Chronicles of Narnia, the line of the witch in the wardrobe, talking about Aslan, as, as, and Aslan is God, and talks about him being dangerous. It says he is dangerous. You remember this line? But he's good. He's dangerous, but he's good. And that's, that's the Lord Jesus. That's a picture of who God is. He is dangerous, and he will judge sin, and he will dis- destroy sin. But he is good and he offers himself in our place so that we can be redeemed and have life eternal. He's good. So we don't despise Romans 2.4. We shouldn't despise the riches of his kindness or restraint and patience. If we do, we're, we're not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Right now, you and I have a choice. Right now, you and I have this opportunity. The whole world has this opportunity. So as, as COVID-19 and our isolation brings us in contact more with our neighbors and our friends and people that are close to us, God didn't get that address wrong. He wants to show how good He is, how amazing He is. He wants that kindness of God, the, the compassion of, of Christ to be seen through our lives and in the lives of others, that they might have faith and be saved by faith in Christ alone. Why? Because God's enemies not only can't hide, they will be destroyed. Number three is this. We rejoice in salvation because the plans of God's enemies will fail. The plans of God's enemies will fail. And I, I, I struggle with this because, well, wait a minute, are, are God's enemies destroyed? How are we talking about them still? And, and it, it, let's read the passage in Psalm 21, verses 10 through 12. He says, you will wipe their progeny from the earth and their offspring from the human race. Though they intended to harm you and devise a wicked plan, they will not prevail. Now let's stop there for a minute. I want you to think about the the progeny, right? Their their offspring from the human race. We see in scripture that that children are like like arrows in a quiver, right? Meant to be shot out. And and for me, I've taken that to mean that they're they're a blessing and a tool, right? That, That my children, my hope is that my children will understand the depth and richness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that as my wife and I raise them and rear them, we're, we're pulling that bowstring back, and as they graduate and, and get out of the house, that they get shot out of that bow, and that they go out from us, and they go out on mission into the world, and that, that our, our kin, our children, our descendants would be missionaries, that they would be parts of us going out in places that we never could reach. Well, the same is true of the wicked. They think their children are like arrows in a quiver. They think they can devise their plans and schemes, and although they may fail, oh, Junior's going to take care of it. He'll take care of the family line. He'll continue my plan. He'll, he'll thwart the, the king. So God not only will find the enemies, he'll destroy the enemies, and then whatever the enemy planned and left behind, God will also find and destroy. They'll be wiped out. Look at the, the verse 12. It's where we stopped. Instead, he will put them to flight 
or you will, God, God, you will put them to flight when you ready your bowstrings to shoot at them. See, God has his own arrows, and God will take out the descendants of the wicked that were the plans to try to harm God or to win against God. They can't. The plans of God's enemies will fail. Psalm 37, I'll read a passage out of there. Psalm 37, 25 through 29. Psalmist says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil, do what is good, and settle permanently. Yeah, that, that's something that's missing in the heart of humanity, especially the enemies of God. They can't find a spot to settle in their soul permanently because they don't want to turn from evil. But what, what the psalmist is saying is that, that the children of the righteous are taken care of. And it goes on, it says that the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever, but the children of the wicked will be destroyed. Not only will the wicked not be able to hide and the wicked will be destroyed, the wicked line of those wicked people will also be destroyed. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. That's an amazing, amazing gospel. It's an amazing salvation. God, in his amazing grace and mercy, offers permanent, unshakable eternity with him through faith in Christ. But he also says if you don't have that faith, if you haven't believed, you will be judged and be destroyed. That's the fullness of the gospel message. Righteous legacies will endure, but the wicked one will not. Finally, number four, we rejoice in God's salvation because God is mighty to save. God is mighty to save. And when we say that, when we sing songs like that, when we bring that up in our heart, we have to know and have to understand and have to totally wrap our hearts and minds around what he's mighty to save from. Amen? He's mighty to save from eternal death. He's mighty to, mighty to save from the judgment that is to come, the righteous judgment that is to come from him. And that's how he ends the song in verse 13. Be exalted, Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. What an amazing way to end the song. Going back to it, we, we understand your judgment. We understand the depth of your salvation. We rejoice in your salvation, not only in the good parts, but we rejoice in the good parts even more because we know how deeply and, and from what you have saved us, this deep wrath that your enemies will be found out, that your enemies will be destroyed, that their legacies won't even be able to be continued, and we will exalt your might, your strength, because you are mighty to save. Job 9.4 says this, God is wise and all-powerful. It's like that. He's dangerous, but he's good. Who has opposed him and come out unharmed? God is the creator of the universe. There's not one single plan from one of his creatures that will be victorious over him. He is the final say. And, and, and fortunately for us, we have this amazing God who, who, yes, had to be consistent with justice and holiness and wrath, but decided 
to come down himself and take our place under that wrath. Isaiah said it pleased God to crush Jesus in our place. Jesus went there for you and I. That for you and I, that if we, if we would have faith in him, we would be rescued from sin and death once and for all. He's an amazing God. We have to trust in him. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll close out our service. Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace. God, we, and it's only amazing grace because we've been saved from the depth of hell, from huge judgment that we all deserve. So we're thankful for the provision you made through Jesus Christ as he came and took the place on the cross where I deserved to hang. And Father, we, we see what he has done and we, we're commanded to obey the gospel, to turn to him in faith and trust him as Savior. And Father, what an amazing inheritance we have in Christ. We have this unshakable inheritance through faith in Christ, and we thank you for that. We thank you for putting us on solid footing, that Jesus is this precious stone, a, a tested stone. He's the cornerstone. God, he, you are infinitely more valuable and, and secure and perfectly righteous than anything else we could ever find. Help us run to you and put our faith in your hands and trust you with our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.